This is Human V Robot, a podcast about the intersection of humanity and technology. Welcome to Human V Robot, a show about the intersection of technology and humanity. I'm Andy Vanny, and I'm here with my sister, Heather Halgrimson. Heather, how are you doing today? Hey, Andy, I'm doing good. Good, good. So for updates today, I didn't have too much. We were just talking before recording about our recording setup, and that's one of the interesting things, just a little inside baseball maybe on podcasting. I I feel like our recording setup has been a constantly evolving thing, but we're getting closer. And just so for a like update, in case anyone's wondering, Heather got a new microphone, I think, two episodes ago the audio technica mm-hmm. one like yep. a podcaster pack and i'm back to my my favorite road microphone the nt1 that i've for years i i need to buy another one just as a backup because this is like yeah <laughs> my microphone yeah yeah, yeah. I, I went back to the yeti and i was like no i don't like the sound of it it's just too dark and feels like i'm in a cave so that's yeah that's my update. Uh, you had something about um, a device. Okay. Sorry. Well. Uh, oh yeah. The, um, yeah. We were just saying with uh, mics, it's like there's you read a lot of um, or there's a lot of information out there about different kinds of mics, and um, I thought, okay, let me just find like the one that's just the best rated, and I'll just buy that one. But there's usually like these list of best rated, and there's a lot of personal preference that goes on. So if you're yeah. in the market for a mic and you're kind of frustrated, just know that that's like probably everyone's experience because it's like just someone just tell me what mic I should buy. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's not really like that. I would say just get one, but be willing to return it if you don't like it, because it just might not work out for you. It's just like a shoe that just might not fit, but somebody else might like it because they're just a little different or how they use it or what it's connecting to or whatever. So, um, there's just a lot of products out there and it is, um, it was a totally new thing for me and it's hard to know what to get, but I like what I've got now. So that's good. Yeah. After trying a few different options. So yeah. I one thing with um, virtual presentations, I've done a few virtual presentations, and what I find works best is it needs to be fully in person or fully virtual. If you're right. presenting to a group of people who are sitting in a boardroom, that's like the worst case scenario. Um, right. <laughs> because you have no idea what's going on in the room. And usually you're just either looking at a, at the screen of one person in the meeting who's then looking at everyone else, or you're just looking at yourself weirdly presenting like in the mirrored image or something like there's just, I've found this to be a problem. And a lot of the groups that I'm presenting to are like, this isn't like a high tech sort of situation with people with the latest technology. It's like at the town office or something like that. Um, so, right. um, but yesterday I did a presentation and they had this little device that they put on the table and it it made a picture of everybody. Like it took everyone's video, like it figured out where the people were sitting and then made a gallery of all the people for okay. me to look at. So I could see all the people. And if they all looked at the thing that was sitting on the table, then it would look like they were looking right at me. But it was kind of nice because then I could actually see all of the people's faces like kind of like a screen um but then additionally it would pick who was talking and it would only it would isolate their video so if someone starts talking it just switches to them so it was like slightly better way to present to an in-person group of people which was 
I'm like, somebody needs to solve this problem. <laughs> and I'm glad yeah. that uh, obviously there was kind of a solution. I think it's called an owl is the device name. An owl. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting because today, I don't know if I mentioned it at the top, we're talking about metaverse and uh, like virtual experiences. And I think that's like a good common ground of like something that's not intrusive. Because I think one of the main thing with like, especially VR and AR technology is, is they're always super intrusive. It's like really yeah. awkward. So just something in the room to, to follow the speaker. That's, that's cool. Yeah. It just sits on the table, has a camera on top. It looks like a Bluetooth speaker and it just figures out who's talking and just shows them on the video and then puts that yeah. video on there. And then if someone, so that person's talking, it usually it had about three people on the bottom. So that wasn't everybody in the room. So the sort yeah. of the last three people who talked ended up on there. Um, so okay. people who weren't talking, I didn't really know where they were, or what they were doing, but that's probably fine. It was better than the alternative, which was just me looking at one person or them like oddly turning the computer around. And then all I'm doing is staring at a boardroom table or whatever. Yeah. So, so I've done all of the above. Um, but I thought that was, um, like you're right in the sense that it was unintrusive. Um, yeah. because that, because it's frustrating when you're trying to, sort of appreciate the fact that this group of people wants to get together in person. Well, that's very nice for them, but of course they want me to give them a presentation. So integrating the in-person people who want to get together with one virtual person is like I said, the worst case scenario. So yeah. making that a little bit better, like it's almost like for me, it would have been better if they were just all on their own computers. But for them, yeah. that probably would have reduced their experience because there they were sitting together like drinking coffee together and having a nice chat, which I'm like, that sounds great. And I don't think that should be stopped just because it's slightly more inconvenient to, you know, incorporate me into the room. Right. Yeah, we had actually when I was in Halifax at our work thing, we had the exact same issue as like we had one person that was joining virtually that was supposed to be presenting and we it, it wasn't really well planned out. But basically in the end we ended up just like someone took the notes in the room and said and presented in the room because it's just too hard to uh to follow for that person that's joining remotely to follow what's going on in the room yeah sure. if they just have no idea yeah i've had yeah. quite a few of those where they're just like what's happening and then where like people have to go up to the front and like shout in the mic for them to ask questions but then they can't see the person who's asking the question and it's yeah. just not great no it's not yeah. at all yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Yeah, you had another uh, an article here about oh, yeah. AI generated COVID news. Uh, I just okay. skimmed it, but can you give me the TLDR on that or what? What was it? Well, about and that? you are just slightly shy of what I did to it, which is also okay. skimmed it. Okay, yeah. but I, I feel like maybe I'm I'm one step ahead of you here. So it was a um, a study, uh, I think, which. Um, McGill University, um, Department of Languages and Linguistics, uh, or Literature, sorry. And um, this individual or group did a study on um, the differences between AI-generated headlines and the actual content of the article. So it looked at CBC um, articles, if you're not in Canada, that's uh, Broadcasting, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation um, article articles. So the AI used the headlines as a prompt to create an article. And then, of course, the um, article was on the other side of it. So they looked, did sort of a text analysis of what um, the framing of the COVID news, it was only COVID-related news, was in the right. journalist-created and the AI-created scenario. And they found that um, the AI-created scenario focused more on the um, medical emergency side of 
COVID. And the human reporting focused more on, well, it had a little bit more positive framing, which honestly kind of surprised me, but I guess maybe not. This sort of tracks, right? right? Like a journalist is going to create an article that they don't want to, like as a human being, you have a bias to try to incite people to act in a pro-social way, I think. (laughs) Right. You hope that when somebody reads your article that they're going to go do and act in a way that will be... Uh, good, you know, or or be how like you want or whatever. Um, and the AI just doesn't care. So it's right. just going to take the title and they're just going to report the facts uh, about, you know, a medical emergency like this and that and the other thing. Um, whereas the in-person articles focused on um, personalities and geopolitics is what they say, which I don't totally get what that means, but I think it's mostly just that they um, they focused it a little bit, downplayed the the technical medical aspects and upplayed the sort of like the human impact and side of what this might mean, I guess. Right. Yeah. That makes sense because I think journalism is generally looking for that personal angle. Like why, why does it affect us? Why does it matter? Why (laughs) does it matter? And also I can see that bias. Like I think a lot of people think the, the media is, negatively biased but i think generally they they focus on the negative but try to draw out the positive or maybe spin it like because purely negative reporting is just depressing <laughs> maybe or oh, yeah, whatever sure. yeah uh, yeah i can see that that's that's interesting yeah um yeah i wonder what they're planning on doing with that because i like i i would wonder then like given the two articles how so, how a person reading them would judge them like i can see how like the researchers would judge them like one is more factual one is more um subjective probably uh but like is that is that a good thing like do people respond well to fa- actual factual <laughs> media or are they are they responding to the subjective side of like how how am I supposed to feel about this news? Um, I personally think that people never <laughs> act based on facts. That, that sounds terrible. Right. <laughs> I think that no one ever changed their mind in light of more facts. <laughs> right. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yet a lot of people try to argue on facts, which it just seems like silliness to me. Um, so I I don't know. But the framing, if you already are inclined to agree with the framing you will just continue to agree but if you're already inclined to disagree you will just completely disagree like that's not going to help at all you're just going to see you know it's gonna you're gonna say it's biased you're gonna say it's um you know has a slant a political slant or an agenda and all that stuff so um but no level of facts is going to change anyone's mind. There. Right. It's only going to confirm biases, in my opinion. Unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit depressing. No, I I agree. Um, and actually, I just thought of one thing as we we're look, reading this article, looking at this article, is the GPT related thing that I do have new an update for. Okay. Uh, I don't have any links, so I can't show you an example, but there was some really funny threads on tricking GPT text. Basically, people like, 
essentially it's it's built to not do anything harmful to humanity essentially right like that that's programmed into it like it should block anything uh that that's considered harmful to people um which makes sense that's good a good thing but the the Mm -hmm. whole thread was about ways people trick it so basically like one example was like um here like you you give it a prompt something like we know that building a nuclear bomb or whatever is bad for humanity. So this is the prompt for what what you should respond with to the um, to the question, and then it gives like you prompt it by saying this is what you would say as a good actor. What would you say as a bad actor? What would it be oh, a negative okay. example? Basically, yeah. like so, tricking it to to give the give away what the negative answer would be, what the answer that it shouldn't give, and okay. some of them were truly bizarre and hilarious. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I'll try maybe for next week. I'll try to find some actual links and examples because okay. they were they were pretty good, um, but. Anyway, our main topic for today, where we're going to talk about the metaverse. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing to clear up right off the bat is there is a Facebook metaverse and then there is the actual or other proposed metaverses, I would say. And I think like Facebook has kind of tried to take over the language in... Um, in proposing a metaverse that's not really what most other people that talk about it are talking about. Um, so maybe I'll just jump to like Facebook's metaverse just to clear that up. Like essentially in their um, proposed metaverse maybe is there is they're trying to build a digital space where people use VR and AR to connect online. Essentially, that's like there's a lot of extra buzz buzzwords like uh, digital merchandise and NFTs and stuff like that that can be traded in that metaverse. But I think they're low. Most people would say they're pretty low on the technical details of how those things actually work. And so like people that are talking about the actual metaverse, focus much more on like blockchain based digital economies uh and shared between spaces so like the nobody owns the space essentially like there are you join spaces that are all part of this bigger umbrella sort of like like equivalent to the internet like we all join we all connect on the internet but the term internet doesn't well you could argue maybe it does belong to certain people, but essentially, like it, it doesn't belong to anyone, right? Like anyone can connect, connect. It's truly peer to peer, and no one owns the the wrapper, the thing we're calling the metaverse, similar to the thing we call the internet. Um, I and I I think so. Facebook is much more of a small walled garden inside of 
the metaverse and even inside of the internet, right? Like it's it's much smaller scope, I would say, than than the way people dream about it. But uh, another thing to clarify is a lot of the technologies are, um, even in this first article, they, they say the developments we see today are considered pre-metaverse. And so it's a thing that doesn't exist yet, right. as most people define it. How I define it, though, often is like, I think it does exist. And I think it's it's something that's uh, a lot of people participate in because I think like the more general thing is like any digital community that people are investing time in. Right. Yeah. And so those, those exist. Uh, um, and there's a lot of examples that we can get into about the ones that do exist. Uh, but does that, does that make sense as a high level framing yeah. of the topic? Yeah. I don't know how this theory is going to play, but I'm going to put it out there and you can okay. let me know how you feel about it. But I think it is strange that a company like Facebook, which designed, came about in an emergent way, in a small scale, bottom up, um, gathered traction organically based right. on people using the service because it was a place they wanted to be. So I'm calling that emergent versus um, technologies that are designed or engineered. So there's sort of emergent technologies and engineered or designed technologies in my concept. Although somebody may have already come up with this and said this much better, or I might be nuts. Um, But I think what's interesting is a company that was built emergently is now heavy-handedly designing what they think the version of the technology should be. Because like anybody in startups knows, like some of the startup sort of Bible texts of startups is about rolling out a product that absolutely at the most low tech version satisfies the customer's needs and seeing if they actually want to be there. And if they want to be there and they have fun there, then they'll keep building on it, that it's kind of creator focused. So it's user focused and it's not so heavy handedly designed. Um, But it feels to me like the Facebook metaverse is sort of trending very heavy on the design side of things. So much so that I read articles that it's like, it's kind of like a big sign for like a a wonderland, a, a playground of the imagination that you can go to. But when you enter, it's like this creepy ghost town with scary yeah. looking, you know, <laughs> faces. And it's just weird and deserted when yeah. you actually get there. So you're sort of sold a bill of goods that it's going to be this fun place for everyone to enjoy. But when you show up, nobody's there. Nobody actually wants to be there. And maybe yeah. I'm wrong, but I, I did read articles that people, other people are saying that exact thing. Um, whereas I think, like you said, the metaverse is metaverses. That's the other thing is like, let's call it plural, because I think Facebook has decided it is a singular concept. But other people think it's something that there can be multiple metaverses that you can jump in between and participate in um, or interact with each other. Right. But like virtual spaces where you interact. And I think the one thing, though, that I wanted to say is that you go in there, 
you do your thing. It's like, I can go to Saskatoon or Calgary or Edmonton or like Vancouver and I can go do my thing there. But at the end of the day, I have my backpack of stuff and I get to go from place to place holding my backpack of stuff. And it has relatively the same value as different places. Like in Vancouver, you know, I can't afford to buy a house and I may be able to somewhere else. Um, But roughly speaking, I can buy a cup of coffee there and I can buy a cup of coffee somewhere else. So that is something I think that applies to the metaverse or a lot of people's conceptions of it is that your stuff isn't limited to the landscape. It stays with you. Yeah. And that's so that's one of the really interesting pieces of this that I did want to get into. And this is where. I made a note on the Medium article that I linked to. Basically, it's like a Medium article that's giving an overview of all the technologies that inc- like the metaverse includes. And it definitely brings out that topic of ownership. Yeah. And I think like it's it's somewhat infuriating since it's just throwing out all these buzzwords and assuming that they work like they, they're saying they work. Um, and the problem with ownership in particular is that like like you're saying like that your cup of coffee or whatever's in your backpack has a particular value and that's because it has a particular value in the the context that you're in and you're not moving between contexts when you're talking about something like coffee because that's a global value right like that 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 thing has a particular value it fluctuates like it's probably cheaper if you're right beside the beans in Colombia, like pulling them off the tree and roasting them. Like that's probably a lot cheaper than than we have sure. here in Canada. Yeah, but it is a here. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a relative value that is in the context of a global economy. Where I think the problem with digital ownership is those, uh, like any NFT that's minted, only has value within the economy that it's minted within right and i think so like i i think the concept is trying to say that there will be one global metaverse economy but i don't see any evidence for that i don't see any evidence for a thing actually having like inherent value across digital economies um and I, I think that's the one like major unproven thing that I, I like. I think everyone just glosses over when talking about these things. Um, I wonder what an economist would have to say about this topic because, like, in my econ one hundred or whatever I took, um, we talked about the prices of things are arrived at when you know that the sort of intersection of supply and demand. Yeah. Um, you know, we're reducing. We're. Uh, we're achieving equilibrium, right? That, um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like, what are the economics of metaverse spaces? I'm sure someone's, some nerd somewhere is writing about this topic. Sorry if that's you. <laughs> um, but I think because we're talking about like essentially what the market economy is, yeah. um, what capitalism is, um, and how economics works in society. Um, where like you said, yeah, that, you know, producer yeah. and consumer surplus is minimized and we're at equilibrium. Um, or as, as much as we can be eliminating the market um, outside factors like externalities or information asymmetries or whatever. Um, or market failures, I guess those are called. Yeah. 
Um, but then I just wonder, like, maybe that just doesn't, is that just not fully articulated in digital spaces or is it just doesn't apply? I don't know. There's a question for another day. <laughs> yeah, well, just to dig, dig into that a little bit, like, I don't think it applies because, like, any any value is based on some kind of scarcity, right? Um, yeah. And, like, the the thing, like, if in, in game programming in particular is wh where the, a lot of people are buying these things, like, any scarcity is fully artificial. Like, 100% artificial scarcity in, say, Warcraft, which is one of the examples I link to. A, an interesting video that you don't need to watch the whole thing, but, um, like... In Warcraft, like any item or collectible, I'm, I don't play it, so I don't know what's actually in there, but I, I know it, there is an eco economy, right? But, and all of those items are completely artificially artificial scarcity, right? There's no true market value sca scarcity driving the prices of the items. Um, right. So as soon as you, and that's why I say like that, it has value within that context, but as soon as you move it out of that context, you can move it into a context where there's zero scarcity, and so it has yeah. zero value, right? Well, if no one wants it, like if you move, if I have a bag of coffee beans with me, I can take that somewhere and there's like some level of scarcity because I have a bag of coffee beans and you do not have a bag of coffee beans <laughs> yeah. and we both want to drink the coffee. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now you can go get a bag of coffee beans, but you could be paying the same price as my bag. And also my bag's already here. Yeah. So if I come for coffee to your house and you, nobody, you know, you're out and I bring a bag, then we have it. Yeah. Um, but if I go to your house and I bring some piece of code or something. It's like, you don't, number one, want it. It has no yeah. value to you, unless it does, right? Like, but it yeah. doesn't have, um, I think you're right in the sense, like you could just go make your own, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, like, and that's the problem with digital assets of any type, even code. Like if it's, if it's a bit, uh, if it's able to be put on the blockchain, it's able to be uh, copied uh, infinitely with zero cost, essentially, right? So there is no scarcity, even if you call that a type of ownership. It's really only just saying in this particular context, this asset belongs to this person, right? And uh, yeah, so I, I think there's, yeah, I think there's the, pro problems. <laughs> the yeah. scarcity is defined by the game. Yeah. Um, and in the real world, the scarcity should be defined by like some limiting natural factor. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one other uh, piece out of that that video on Warcraft, the, the, the most relevant quote that I thought was that um, basically it said, uh, worlds become real when we care about them, not when they look similar to our own. And I think that's an important thing to bring up because I think a lot of people think uh, think of the metaverse as like a perfect digital simulation of the real world or something like that, or attempting to get there. And I think like, especially within online games, you get things that look very different to our own world. Like they're not even remotely connected or trying to simulate the real world, but they're places that people spend time 
and I think that's the value in um, online communities, online spaces. Like I think, I think metaverse is one, like I, I tend to not use the word because I think like the ones that exist are already there and they're just called like, they're called whatever they're called, right? Like Warcraft yeah. is called the, you know, yeah, they're, they're not called metaverse because metaverse is just a buzzword essentially like there are games like you mentioned uh in your notes second life which is like one of the earliest things that was like sort of simulating real world but also having like this very immersive you know in-world experience um and i think like it's not called metaverse because it's it is it's just it is what it is right yeah i think Um, that in prepping this this is like everywhere i looked that the metaverse is not something that we'll just call one day and just be like it is here um yeah that it's like a definition like that is basically unhelpful except to the people who are trying to describe it afterwards probably right like these are all things that are like metaverses i guess um but to say this is a metaverse and we're going to go make one or that, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's like, I, I also think that there is an element of like, it will probably emerge in more fully as time goes on, I guess. Yeah. Um, it will become more pervasive, but it would never be a point where we say like, that was like the point where we went from like the pre-metaverse to the post-metaverse world. We were all that moment where we all put on headsets and just sit and wither in a chair and just participate only in virtual worlds or something. Yeah. Like I was thinking about this, like, cause we're talking about like in the context of fitness classes, cause I do the fitness thing. Yeah. Um, and a big thing in my thing is spin classes, which I recognize as a bit of a cult. Um, <laughs> okay. So sorry for that. But when you're into <laughs> it, you're really into it. Okay. And as you know, Peloton is started yeah. off with the spin thing. Um, okay. And so you get I on your know bike. That actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You get cool. on your bike. As far okay. as I know, that's how it started. Is I think they have okay. treadmills and whatever else, other fitness classes down, but I'm pretty okay. sure it started with cycling. So you get on there, you clip in, and somebody gives you a class. But it feels like a real person giving you a class. Like it feels like you're really in the class. Right. But it kind of doesn't feel like you're in the class because when I go to a class, it's dark, it's loud. Uh, yeah. There are strobing lights. There are other sweaty people around me huffing and puffing, yeah. um, you know, mm-hmm. but I can see a, a context and like the, you know, augmented reality thing or whatever is not maybe great. But however I participate, whether it's a screen, the VR headset, the, you know, something, whatever, some sort of simulation where I can be closer to what it might look like to participate in a real class. So right now you clip into the bike in your garage and you take a class from somebody. Maybe yeah. as time goes on, that te- that's gonna become more like a real class with different kind of something. I don't know, I can't predict how that's gonna yeah. go. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of how I think about those things. It's like, it's gonna get better and yeah. it's gonna be more like a real class. Um, but there's a couple things that stay consistent. First of all, it's like the outlay of time. Like I still have to get on that bike and spin my butt off. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's probably like a real time aspect to it or whatever um but it's uh it is kind of the same but also sort of different than the in-person thing even though if it very closely will resemble that experience yeah 
Yeah, I think I think that's a good example of one of those like technologies that displays the like the the spectrum because I think like the the bulletin board systems, IRC chat rooms of the 80s were like the first metaverse. Really, they were like the first places where you would go to interact with others and there was like this is a virtual world that you're living in and those are like super primitive, but it's just like as far as I can tell, you know, stripping away all of the the buzzword NFT, Web3, crypto add-ons, it's just an evolution of that, right? Like where we're getting uh, digital worlds that are more immersive, more um, that, that we want to spend more time in. And I think like... Like the the econ- economics of it are interesting, but I don't see them uh, breaking through just because of that digital scarcity. Like anytime you move an asset from one system to another, either like from NFT to real world, you need you depend on the the market value of that, like what people think it's worth, right? And especially like moving between different digital communities there needs to be an exchange rate value valuation of that otherwise it's it's worthless like there's no uh, inherent worth to any digital asset right right it's Uh, uh yeah exactly it's just all minted by whatever the organization is and they have to decide what's worth it to you know it's almost like a currency exchange you have to get your money out or back in or to a different you know platform or whatever yeah and there's well there's also the assumption like i find baked into that a lot of times that that ownership and value is what people are looking for out of this and i don't think it is like especially with the with the spin classes like you're not you're not trying to earn uh, peloton coins for or maybe if peloton coins (laughs) were the only reason you did peloton you need to watch out because it is it is really hard. I think yeah. the reason that people do it is for their physical and mental health. That's why I do yeah. it. Yeah. Because it, it just feels great to just sweat it out and makes your brain better and it makes your body better. Uh, you don't yeah. do it for coins. Like the challenges and stuff are kind of fun, but the intrinsic motivation is always what's going to get you there. Yeah. Um, the, in it, the experience of it just for its own sake is what is going to keep you coming, I think. Yeah. Because that's what's going to, you know, you might show up for the other thing, but you're going to stay for the real, real benefits of it. Yeah. And I think like gaming communities are the same. I don't think, I don't think people are doing like, there was one, I I don't remember the name of it. A game that was like pay to earn, a play to earn sort of thing that was like, oh, you can actually earn real money by playing this game. And it's like, I don't think that's sustainable. People aren't interested in that for their gaming time like the even even in games that have digital economies i don't think the the earning the like the numbers are the thing they're after they're looking for a gaming experience like with other people or on their own for their leveling up it's like going to the gym and lifting heavier weights it's about leveling up right yeah it's about recognition of time put in and whatever yeah yeah totally um so i had one other note about like 
does do metaverse adjacent technologies uh, make us withdraw from in real life experiences? And I think that like there was one article, I thought there was like some specific studies about this, that, but I couldn't find it. There's like some general notes about like, um, uh, like documented social phenomenon in Japan, which was like modern day hermits or people. Uh, I, I'm not going to try to say the name. I'll, I'll try to say it, but I'll butcher it. Hikikimori, I think is the name for it. And it's basically just a phenomenon where people into their 30s and 40s are still living at home and not going out, not leaving the house, essentially, like they're shut-ins, um, which is like, like I can see sort of being in enabled by internet technologies and metaverse adjacent technologies. Like if you're having a social experience or living a life in a digital world, there may be less pressure to get out or less motivation to um yeah to engage in traditional <laughs> hobbies and stuff but uh I, I i haven't fully wrapped my head around like is that like any article about it is like hugely negative like that's a terrible this is a terrible social phenomenon and i'm not entirely convinced that it is like it's like it is sad uh, i think like from my perspective like if they're having a like a not rich life experience that which i would say that like usually digital communities are more surface level and but i don't know maybe maybe that's just just my bias i don't know do you have any take on that i think if the if the internet can hardwire our biology to make us not want to seek out what we crave and desire as humans, which is like people to be around us and support us, <laughs> which for the majority of the span of humans has been an in-person experience. Yeah. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, it's not like that some predetermination that we were just all kind of waiting for. And then the internet came along and we're like, well, that solves that. We're never going out again. Right. Um, I think that for people who there's going to be a subset of people who are going to be susceptible to this. Um, but for the majority of people like being human and desiring things that humans desire, which is that social connection. And I don't know, like maybe the, I think it's kind of like, it's kind of like how people sort of think about like, wow, you got to really get that work ethic into kids, you know, you got to get them out and doing stuff as if they have no intrinsic motivation to work yeah. or to do things with their life. But I'm like, I think if you just give people opportunity to do something that they enjoy and find value in and like that pretty much people will find a way to make that happen. Like they'll, they'll get out there. Like, I don't think you have to like, beat that into somebody right. like i think it's just kind of something that happens um because not like work ethic like going to work but just doing something pro-social like finding yeah. people like being part of something like doing something for your community uh maybe that's your maybe that's your job maybe that's taking care of your kids or your family or your friends or maybe that's participating in a club or whatever like just some kind of pro-social behavior i don't think we have to 
like force people into that. I think it's just a, something that people will, if they're healthy, sort of stable humans, they'll probably seek out. Um, yeah. And I don't really see how much the metaverse would really impact that. Or if that happens online, what the downside of that would be. <laughs> right. I don't know. Like, I think it's easy to make the assumption that then somebody would just sit and never leave their house. But I don't know. Like, maybe you just, you just stay healthy, take walks, go out, like, you know, whatever. And, or be on a screen when you're walking. I don't know. Like, what, right? Like, I don't think that that's necessarily like a... I don't know. We're always looking for a way to just sort of assume that people are lazy and lack virtue and just like, aha, we knew it all along. <laughs> right. Um, and people are useless. And if they are left to their own devices, we'll sit on the internet and, you know, collapse on themselves. Yeah. So actually, as you were talking, I realized this is probably linked to another phenomenon that I think I've already talked about. That's like um, the tendency to... Uh, like as we get more input, more media to the tendency to think about like global politics and global issues or national issues and disregard our local issues sort of thing. And that people aren't really plugged into their communities because all the media that's coming to them is global and national. And like, um, like, Maybe I'm not making the connection properly there, but I, I feel like there's maybe this uh, withdrawing from local issues like community groups or community politics or community whatever. Because you're um, so obsessed with the American election. Cause that's exactly, I mean. yeah. <laughs> right. we're, we're watching that so closely and thinking yeah. that it has anything to do with our day-to-day -day experience when it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, which is just like whatever is like right in front of our face is sometimes the thing we pay attention to. Right. Okay. I don't think I have anything more on that. I, yeah. I think it's interesting, though. It went yeah. in and out of the metaverse. Um, yeah. Um, you had, so your last article here is talking about, like, the metaverse needing to be attractive for creators. And mm -hmm. I think that's one thing we haven't really talked about is, like, what the role of... Um, like people building within a metaverse looks like because yeah. and I think that's a little hard to say because it's it's can be pretty different because um, there's like I think any community has like within it some level of uh, interaction like you either are just socially interacting or you're like metaverse kind of takes that higher where you can create new things within that space, create and even like program new functionality into that space. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's hard to say without use cases, like what that actually looks like. Often. The article stayed pretty theoretical, so I didn't exactly know what what examples to give, but I thought it was it was valuable in the sense that it talked about um, metaverses or the metaverse needed to be, it was essentially like, beware of Facebook. The metaverse needs to be flat, right? Um, that it needs to be, you need to provide like the basic, but then it's like open source. Anyone can edit, create, make or whatever, but then you're opening yourself up to like a ton of risk, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then some people who create sort of open source stuff that anyone can create on are just like, well, you just don't believe in people enough, but I'm kind of like, oh, but I think it's good to have some measures, some stopgap measures. Yeah. Um, on creators. 
um, and what you can create. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. The, the article was just meant to caution Facebook that they were, I think, quite heavy-handed with right. what they're trying to create, and that instead they should just try to create something that people can just um, play with, I guess, and make right. their own things. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting framing because I think, like, I think that's one like an example of a feature that's not really called out too much because I think it is like extremely rife for abuse and like misuse Um, that I think uh, like, I mean, any online game has experienced this. I know like particularly like, uh, like there, like a lot of, like either Roblox or Minecraft servers. I'm thinking of the things my kids have taken part of in like they, their needs, like just opening it up and letting everyone do whatever they want within that is not, you know, is not going to work because it, unless there's some regulation, like just, it's, this yeah. is probably like a really dumb example, but like one of our nephews, like, if in Minecraft, I get I don't play it, but I guess if you like if you revive a villager, they give you stuff. <laughs> yeah. So he like killed a bunch of villagers only to revive them and then put them in like one by one squares, like in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> they would yeah. just keep giving him stuff. I was like, like nature finds a way. Like I don't know, people will find a way to get what they want, even if it yeah. seems like the most inhumane. I was like, what are all? They're like, oh, that's all the villagers I killed and revived. <laughs> okay, the worst part of that is to get the best trades. I know some Minecraft to get the best trades, you have to do that multiple times. So okay, many, right. many so times, killing them and then reviving them and going <laughs> through that cycle to get yeah. like the the villagers to love you more. It's like, yeah, it's. It, you can't think too much about it because it's no. like <laughs> if you try to map it onto the real world it's like what is this teaching kids yeah, no, yeah, yeah. it's just a game mechanic you know like right right uh, <laughs> yeah um but i think so like like i think actually bringing up roblox i think this is that's one of the more interesting like metaverse adjacent technologies in that like people like I, I've downloaded the Roblox Studio game creator and tried to create games, and it's like the actual experiences are also designed by the players, um, which is kind of an interesting. Like it looks terrible; it's the worst looking game on the face of the planet. But it's like enabling a sort of new feature this this creator economy. Um, and actually, there's a great series of videos as well. I'm going to bring up another YouTube video. Uh, I think it's People Make Games, basically talking about the the Roblox creator economy and how horrific it is. <laughs> really, it's it's pretty bad. Um, and it's something that, uh, yeah, like all of these things have to come to grips with. Is like, you can't just turn on a feature like that like creating whatever you want or because it 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 there's all kinds of knock-on effects that that happen as a result of that right like you get companies like people building companies and hiring 13 year olds to do write their programs for them because that they're you know like it's um it needs to be thought out it's not something that you just get uh in the like you can't 
approach it with the infinite optimism that I think a lot of these, uh, <laughs> you know, right. um, metaverse crypto companies are, are are saying it will be. Like, there yeah. needs to be a lot of checks well, and balances. <laughs> it's like, okay, just open it up and just have faith, have faith. And then the FTX thing happens, and we're like, yeah. have faith? That's dumb. Like, you should be regulated <laughs> like a bank. Like, I don't have yeah. faith in nobody, right? Like, yeah, you because they are a bank. Like, that that's yeah, what they're exactly. doing. exactly. <laughs> it's like, how do you get off not? Like, everyone yeah. else in society has to comply, but now we're just suddenly having all this faith in humanity? Like, I don't think so. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm strongly of the opinion that it, for the foreseeable future, any kind of metaverse adjacent stuff will be within a company and be need to be need to have some kind of regulation in in the same way that like like I think Roblox is getting away with a lot that they shouldn't be, but I think the hammer will eventually come down on them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um yeah, I, I don't think it's possible to do without some kind of regulatory body to be responsible for what's happening in that metaverse. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, we always seems like I feel like all, we always come back to regulation. It's just like, well, just get <laughs> on it and it. make some regulation. <laughs> that wasn't intentional. Oh, well. That wasn't anywhere in our notes either. So. No, no, I I was not thinking about that until I came to Roblox in there. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, well. Great. Okay, I think I think we've covered it. Leave it there probably. today. Yeah. 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 Okay, okay, cool. Thanks for chatting, right. Heather. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To hear all our episodes, search for Human V Robot wherever you find your podcasts.